Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind, with the permission of Worcester News, and recorded on Thursday, July the 11th, 2019, here at Colin Chance House in Worcester. I'm Evelyn Brock, editor for this edition, and with me to read the articles are Paddy Fellows, Moira Lowe, and Julian Watkins. Our sound engineer is Barry Hurd. A warm welcome to all listeners, especially new ones, and I hope everyone enjoys our offering. In addition to news items, you'll hear some useful telephone numbers, readers' letters, birthdays, on this day, and thought for the week. Obituaries are still included, but following listeners' requests, these have moved to a new spot following the closing music. So, if you wish to hear those, please stay tuned at that time. Don't forget that recordings are also available on podcast. Listeners are also reminded that we have an extensive library of talking books. Fiction, thrillers, romance, to name but a few. Talking books are available in many formats. I've been asked to tell you that, contrary to what was announced at one time, talking books are not available on memory sticks, but only on CDs and tapes. Also, do let us know your birthdays so that we can greet you specially when the time comes. This service is free to users, but if you would like to make a voluntary donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester WR51DA. We do like hearing from you, and a message can be left on our answer phone. Worcester, that's 01905 767 766 or add a note to your wallet. (coughs) We ask listeners that if there's any problem with any aspect of your receiving recordings, please use the answer phone on the number I've just given and leave a message to that effect. So we'll start with the birthdays for this week. On the 13th, it's Jackie Hunt, On the 17th, it's Leslie Heath. And on the 20th, Rosemary Griffin. So, happy birthday to all three of you. We hope you have a lovely day when it comes. Now I'll ask Moira to read Thought for the Week. Okay, this is Mark 9, verses 2 to 3, 7 and 8. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Thank you, Moira. Now some useful telephone numbers. Out of our 
hours medical help, 6 to 8 p.m. 0300 NHS non-emergency 111. Worcester Live, that's the Swan Theatre, Huntingdon Hall and Henry Sandon Hall, Worcester 01905 611427. Malvern Theatre, 01684 Worcester Hub for Council Matters 01905765765 or 72233 Crime Stoppers 0800 one and Samaritans 116123, and that's a free phone number. Well, now I'll ask the team to introduce themselves as we read the week's headline articles. Now, starting with me, the headline article for Friday, July the 5th. Man sleeps among rats and rubbish. Homelessness campaigners say a rough sleeper is lucky to be alive after apparently living for months in squalor among rats and a pile of rubbish. They have also asked why more wasn't done to help. St Paul's Hostel Chief Executive Jonathan Sutton understands the authorities only acted when he reported concerns about the appalling conditions the man was living in near the canal in Tallow Hill. Hostel trustee and Worcestershire ambassador Philip Fowler posted a shocking image of a sleeping bag surrounded by litter where the unnamed man was sleeping allegedly unbeknown to the council and outreach services. Mr Sutton said he reported the issue last month, while Mr Fowler said three weeks later a multi-agency meeting was held to discuss the best course of action. We were lucky that this guy had not died and added to the growing number of rough sleepers dying in the county, he said. It appears to show a complete lack of effective outreach going out and looking after people like this. It's a bit of a mess. Rough sleepers are not a priority for the council, he added. Mr Fowler and Mr Sutton understand the authorities were aware of the rough sleeper in question, but not that he had been living in such squalor. At least four other homeless people have died in the county since July 2016, when 74-year-old Carden Banfield's decomposing remains were discovered in a tent in the city. Mr Sutton said he was made aware that the Tallow Hill Rough Sleeper was living in poor conditions by a member of the public, and as a result of that we registered a concern with the safeguarding authorities. He should not have been living there for what was a considerable amount of time, he said. Mr Sutton went on to say he was offered a place at the hostel but declined, though St Paul's is not a suitable place for him, he added, due to his apparent complex needs. 
The question that needs to be answered is why on earth was he sleeping like that before anyone did anything about it? He wasn't hidden from view. He was past the pathway that runs down Tallow Hill. There's plenty of organisations know of him. How was it that allowed that allowed to happen when Worcester City Council are paying for an outreach team? To mark the third anniversary of Mr Banfield being found, homelessness campaigner Hugo Sugg will be leading a protest outside the Guildhall and the Mags Day Centre from 9.30am today. There have been two deaths in Malvern last year, another unreported death in Worcester and a death in Redditch, said Mr Sugg. Five deaths since the City Council commissioned this contract with CCP, caring for communities and people, and mags. I'm worried there will be a sixth. He'd added that there must be an urgent review of safeguarding procedures and proper scrutiny of these contracts. Last month, the City Council used money from its affordable housing fund, usually used to support projects for building homes, to fund its share of an estimated £530,000 county-wide contract for homeless prevention for the next two years. Worcestershire County Council has cut its contribution to £100,000 a year, leaving a £165,000 funding gap to be covered by the county's six district councils. A city council spokesman said they were unable to comment on individual cases. We and our partners engage with all rough sleepers we are made aware of, with a view to supporting them off the street and into accommodation, he said. In cases where we are concerned about an individual's vulnerability, we will refer them to agencies that can provide specialist support. In some cases, it can take longer to find suitable accommodation for an individual who has complex needs. When that is the case, homelessness agencies continue to engage with that individual and provide support to them. An independent review into the death of Mr Banfield was previously commissioned by the City Council with a report published in May 2018 which said more could have been done to keep the long-term rough sleeper off the streets. The spokesman said, The report included ten recommendations, many of them concerning how agencies that work with homeless people and rough sleepers can work more closely together. The City Council agreed to work with its partners to implement all ten recommendations. In January, a report to the Council's Communities Committee reviewed the progress of the recommendations and found seven had so far been completed, while two were in progress and one was on target. The City Council, along with its partner agencies, including St Paul's Hostel, Mags Day Centre and CCP, is continuing to work to implement all the recommendations to further improve the support for people who sleep rough in Worcester and Worcestershire, the spokesman said. A further update on the implementation of the recommendations will be given to the Communities Committee later in the year. Worcestershire Safeguarding Adults Board is carrying out a thematic review of the recent rough sleeper deaths in the county. 
Derek Benson, chair of WSAB, said, We will update on the progress of this in due course. Mag's Day Centre did not provide a comment before we went to print. Hi, this is Jules, and this is a headline from Saturday, July 6th. Homeless man jailed for stealing from churches. A homeless man betrayed the trust of a congregation who had helped him when he stole from their church. A vicar has said it is very sad Wojciech Ziga stole from his church despite members helping him with money. Ziga, 25, pleaded guilty to stealing items from two churches in Worcester and Kemsey and was sentenced to 18 weeks in prison. Reverend Mark Badger of St Mary's Church, Kemsey, said, We did try to help him. We helped him out with train fares and some other funds. Unfortunately, he did do some things around the village. It is very sad being that we tried to help him. We would never ban anyone from our church. It is there for when people need it. Our churches are open every day for the community. Shafquat Riaz, prosecuting, said the burglary at St Mary's Church on April 28, 2018, the victim had left her items in her bag, trousers, top and shoes. In the morning, she returned to find the contents of the bag were missing and the bag was missing. The items were strewn over the room. On CCTV, he was seen leaving the church with the bag on his back. Mr Riaz told the court that during a second theft on November the 11th, 2018, Ziga of Burcott Lane, Bromsgrove, entered St Martin's Church, Worcester, and went into a restricted area of the church, opposite the organ where a number of drums were kept. Mr Riaz said it was here that a small drum valued at £269 was missing. Again, CCTV was checked and the defendant was identified. Mr Riaz told the court that during a second theft on November the 11th, 2018, Ziga of Burcott Lane, Bromsgrove, entered St Martin's Church, Worcester, and went into a restricted area of the church opposite the organ where a number of drums were kept. Mr Riaz said it was here that a small drum valued £269 was missing. Again, CCTV was checked and the defendant was identified. <clears throat> Mr Riaz said Ziga, who regularly attends church, was known to both churches and had problems with him asking members of the congregation for money in the past added. Usually churches are charities with limited funds and resources. Cam Shargill, defending, said at the time the offences were committed, he was homeless. He had lost his identification card and was unable to secure employment. Since then, he has a job, he has a flat and is in a relationship. A lot has changed for him. He has not informed me of any alcohol or drug issues and it is the homelessness that led to the offences. In addition to his custodial sentence, Ziegler was given a suspended sentence for two years. He has ordered to pay £269 compensation to St Martin's Church and he is banned for two years from entering Worcester City Centre, Kemsey, the hive in Worcester, Worcester <coughs> Cathedral or its grounds, and St Martin's Church, sorry, St George's Church, Sanson Place, Worcester. A criminal behaviour order also prevents him from refusing to leave a premise or area forming part of a premise when asked by someone who has the authority to do so. PC Catherine Broadfield said, We have successfully placed a CBO banning Mr Zieger from Worcester City Centre and Kemsey. This was granted after a series of incidents including persistent begging, antisocial behaviour and two burglaries. I hope the conviction CBA provides reassurance to local retailers and local residents that police will take positive action to make our communities safer. Members of the public are encouraged to report any breaches of the orders to West Mercia Police on 101. The case was heard at Worcester Magistrates Court on Thursday, July the 4th. Hi, it's Moira and I've got Monday's headline, which is Classy Carnival. 
Despite overcast skies and bouts of drizzle, Worcester Carnival saw reported three times as many people flock to Pitchcroft and line the city streets for the parade as last year. The revamped carnival was first launched four years ago. An organiser, Anglia Derbyshire, said Saturday's event was absolutely fantastic, but has called for still more support next year. We want more floats involved, so please listen and watch out for all the messages about next year's carnival, she said. The event was worlds apart from what was a disappointing relaunch back in 2015 when no floats were involved in the parade and the fair was cancelled at the last minute because the safety officer deemed the ground unsafe. Then committee chairman Mal Hobbs said at the time, with the support and backing we had, we did the best we could, adding that the weather was against us. But it proved a point, and that is Worcester wants a carnival, because so many people turned out for it. So we are working really hard to bring it back bigger and better next year, he added. Fast forward four years, and more festivals in between, and the weather, while not as hot and sunny as much of last week, held out in the most part. What's more, crowds surged onto Pitchcroft for the start of the parade, and then more packed the city centre, many people coming out of work or leaning from windows to catch a glimpse. And, if initial estimates are correct, a threefold increase on attendees is not to be scoffed at. Mrs Derbyshire wanted to stress she's not the only festival committee member and heaped praise on her colleagues, Gillian Hode, Chris King, Phil Weston, Helen Sharrett, Barry McGabbin, Sue Chance, Adam Bullock and Trevor King. The day started with the opening of the Carnival Village in Pitchcroft and the official crowning of this year's Carnival Queen, 21-year-old Antonia Elberon Chamberlain, by City Mayor Alla Ditter at 10 o'clock. Miss Elberon Chamberlain, who was previously crowned Queen of Starport Carnival in 2017, said organisers must have thought I was good because they called her hours after her interview to offer her the role. She led a procession of more than half a dozen floats and walking groups from the race course along Croft Road, Dean's Way to College Street, City Walls Road, Pump Street, High Street, The Cross, Fourgate Street, Castle Street and back to Pitchcroft from 3pm. Businesses that entered floats included Worcester Bosch, while girl guiding Worcester Mary Poppins float was voted the best in the parade. Studio B scooped best youth float and the best walking group went to Lollipop Theatre. The parade theme was the world of books, with the likes of the aforementioned Mary Poppins, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Around the World in 80 Days and The Very Hungry Caterpillar amongst the works paid tribute to. Back at the Carnival Village, which remained open until 6pm, attendees were treated to fairground rides, market stalls and sporting events, as well as food and drink. Live entertainment included headliners the 515 Band, who put on a 90-minute set from 4.30pm, as well as Mitzi, All Sorts Performing Arts, Worcester School of Dance, Studio B, Jetstar, Lollipop Theatre and Toby Colston. Mrs Derbyshire said, fantastic day. Amazing to see children enjoying the fair rides. Atmosphere fantastic. So many children's smiling faces is what it's all about. We wanted to bring the carnival back to the city of Worcester four years ago and we've certainly done that. This has been absolutely fantastic and we've had the best time ever, she added. Next year's festival is due to take place on July the 4th. Visit worcestercarnivalco.uk to find out more. This is Paddy with a headline about the drug, whoops, jailed drug dealers. 
A scarce drug dealer, jailed for selling heroin and crack cocaine in Worcester, is behind bars yet again for doing the same thing. <clears throat> Neil Hyatt, nicknamed Scouse, was jailed for dealing Class A drugs in Wilds Lane in 2015. But when he got out of prison, he carried on dealing. This is time setting up shop in Diglis. Hyatt and his three co-conspirators were all sentenced at Worcester Crown Court after admitting a conspiracy to supply heroin and crack cocaine in Diglis. After the Liverpool manager set up a so-called cookoing operation in Worcester using an addict's home as a base to deal drugs. Hyatt, aged 35, of Prescott Road, Liverpool, and Nicholas Granger, aged 39, of Park Street, Worcester, received immediate jail sentences. Elaine Pritchard, aged 45, of Princess Street, Worcester, and Ben Kelly, aged 19, of Prescott Road, Liverpool, both received suspended prison sentences for their role in the conspiracy. We previously reported how Hyatt was jailed for five years and eight months at the same court, also for dealing heroin and crack cocaine in Worcester. In November 2015, Hyatt tried to escape police through a window wearing only his underwear and a dressing gown as officers smashed their way into the flat in Wilds Lane. Arrests for the more recent offences came after officers had been on patrol, this time in Diglish, on Wednesday, May the 1st this year, as part of an operation to tackle county lines dealing, where drug pushers from big cities set up in smaller places, such as Worcester. Alexandra Bull, prosecuting, said the police observed drug dealers, sorry, users, near the canal towpath, and Granger was seen to make an exchange. Hyatt, Pritchard and Kelly were arrested at an address in Donaldson Court in Prince's Drive, Diglis, described as a cooking address, where an addict's home is used to sell drugs. A dining room table had been used to prepare the drugs. Officers seized wraps of heroin and crack cocaine in cling film and two mobile phones, a Nokia and an Alcatel. Hyatt was found with around £1,000 in tightly rolled notes in Clingfield and a further £622 in notes and coins. The mobile phones were found to contain advertising messages sent out to users, one of which, sent on April the 30th, read biggest and best about. The court heard that Hart was known as Scouse, which was also the name of the drugs line. Kelly was also found with a thousand pounds of cash, ten wraps of heroin and crack cocaine, and also a train ticket from Liverpool to Worcester dated April the 29th. Granger's address in Park Street, Worcester, was raided where police seized digital scales and a kinder egg used to conceal drugs. In interview, he said his drugs debt had been increased 
and he'd been told if he did not pay, his leg would be shot off, and so he began street dealing. Pritchard, Hyatt and Kelly gave no comment interviews. Pritchard had 27 con- previous convictions, including for possession of a knife and supplying cocaine from her address on October the 23rd last year. Hyatt, who has 39 previous convictions, was identified as a three-strikes dealer, which made him eligible for a minimum seven-year sentence. Kelly had no previous convictions, although at the Worcester hearing he admitted three assaults in Liverpool against emergency workers, two paramedics and a police officer, which included kicking and spitting. Granger had 34 previous convictions dating back to 1996, including for possession and supply of drugs. Miss Bull, who was prosecuting, said Hyatt had a leading and managerial role and described Kelly as his lieutenant. Granger's role was identified by the prosecution as significant with some knowledge of the scale of the operation. Pritchard had a lesser role and is a drug addict who accepted her reward was the feeding of her addiction. Mark Lister for Hyatt said his client had not been working at the time and was in a hostel in Liverpool and indicated a guilty plea at the magistrate's court. Alan Williams for Granger said remorse is clear from his pre-sentence report. Mr Williams said his client received payment for his activities in drugs and had relapsed into drug use at the time of the anniversary of his mother's death, after she died three years earlier. Mr Williams described Granger as having split personality disorders, explosive personality disorder, and repression and anxiety. Mark Sheward for Pritchard said his client had been offered a place at Willow Dean to help with her drug rehabilitation and added, if you stop her using drugs, you stop her offending. Joe Althwaite for Kelly said the probation service had described her client as naive, easily exploited and gullible. Judge Tim Tindall said anyone who wants to know what happens to people who take drugs only has to look at people like Miss Pritchard. You, Miss Pritchard, have ruined your life with drugs. He told her, it's quite surprising you're not dead, and added, you have been given all the chances. Some might say you have blown them. However, he said, none of the defendants are Mr Big, though Hyatt was clearly in charge of the operation. <clears throat> the judge jailed Hyatt for five and a half years and Granger for three years. He sentenced Kelly to two years in prison, suspended for two years, and ordered him to complete 40 rehabilitation activity days and 200 hours of unpaid work. Pritchard also received a two-year prison sentence, suspended for two years. Wednesday, July the 10th, 
burglar used pickaxe to raid home. A burglar who used a pickaxe to smash his way into a Worcester home while the owners were still inside has been jailed. Michael Repton carried out three burglaries in Worcester, all carried out while the home owners were in, and stole prescription forms from a city doctor's so he could fraudulently obtain medication. The 33-year-old of no fixed address admitted three house burglaries, handling stolen goods, three frauds, possession of a controlled drug of Class A, heroin, and possession of a controlled article for use in fraud. The most serious burglary that involved the pickaxe took place in Newtown Road, Worcester, on May the 11th. Rebecca de Silva, prosecuting, said the occupiers became aware of a series of loud bangs and went downstairs to discover the window to their porch had been smashed, causing £150 to £200 worth of damage and keys taken. Officers found a pickaxe and broken glass nearby. Mr Silver described this burglary as both greater harm and higher culpability because the occupier was at home and because it was a burglary with a pickaxe. Repton carried out another Worcester burglary on April the 22nd between 10.30pm and 1.45am waking the occupiers who found drawers had been opened and a £150 mobile phone taken. When the phone's owner used his wife's phone to call his own number, a man answered saying he was in the medway before hanging up. A third burglary happened at Mortlake Avenue, Worcester, at around 3am on May the 15th, during which car keys and an Audi A4 were stolen. Keys to a VW Golf and a Lexus taxi were also taken. The Audi was later found at Lambert Road. Blank prescription forms were taken from the printer at Hennick Holt Medical Centre in Worcester. The forms had been on the printer on March the 19th this year, but Miss Da Silva said it's not clear when they were stolen. Repton used the forms at Tesco in Warnden villages to successfully obtain a prescription for diazepam and attempted to do the same thing at Superdrug in Worcester High Street and Boots, also in Worcester High Street, on May the 9th. Repton had eight convictions for 16 previous offences, but none for burglary. Sam Lambsdale for Repton said Repton and his girlfriend, Samantha Skip, had been sleeping in a tent close to the riverside in Worcester at the time. They left it one day, came back and it had been vandalised, so they had nowhere to sleep. That's the reason they attempted to steal a car, so at least they would have some shelter somewhere in which to sleep, said Miss Lambsdale. She told the court Repton had been addicted to heroin for ten years, an addiction which began after he had two discs removed from his back during surgery and became addicted to painkillers. Despite his addiction, he had managed to deal with his addiction without committing numerous acquisitive offences, Miss Lambsdale told the court. 
The defendant, who appeared via video link, showed the judge certificates he had received while in prison after completing courses. He had also been prescribed methadone while in custody to help him stay off heroin. Judge Robert Jukes QC read a letter from the defendant before sentencing him. He said, it's a good letter, it's not self-pitying, it sets out the situation perfectly reasonably. The judge told Repton he had been realistic in his approach and had pleaded guilty at the first opportunity, used his time in custody and had recognised the seriousness of what he had done. However, he added, these were very serious dwelling house burglaries because they were at night. The properties were occupied and the occupiers were disturbed. On one particular occasion, you were equipped with a pickaxe, which is a significant aggravating feature. Judge Jukes jailed him for three years. This is from Thursday, July the 11th. Metal bar used in vicious attack. A metal bar was used to bludgeon a man about the head during a sustained attack at a Worcester traveller site, which left the victim with a fractured skull. Attackers John Pacer Smith and Jim Riley Janes admitted their role in the assault when the grievous bodily harm charge was put to them yesterday, bringing to an early end what would have been a three week trial at Worcester Crown Court. The beating at Waterside Park, Offerton Lane, Warnden, Worcester, left the victim, John Mongan, with 15 separate injuries to his head and body. As a result of the attack, Mr. Mongan had to spend a number of days in hospital. The trial, which had been scheduled to begin on Monday with four defendants denying Section 18 wounding with intent, following the attack on May the 6th last year. However, there are a series of negotiations in the courtroom and behind the scenes between the prosecutor and defence, advocates and, and the defendants and the victims, as the parties sought to bring the case to a resolution without the need for a trial. Ultimately, these discussions bore fruit and led to two of the defendants pleading guilty to the lesser charge of Section 20 grievous bodily harm. Unlike Section 18 grievous bodily harm, Section 20 does not involve the admission of any intent to cause the injuries and attracts a lighter sentence. The men who pleaded guilty to the Section 20 were 30-year-old John Pacer Smith of Waterside Park, Offerton Lane, Warnden, Worcester, and Jim Riley Janes, 26, of Larch Road, Worcester. This only happened after the prosecutor, Mark Davis, discussion with the position with the victim, Mr Mong, to see if this was an acceptable course of action. It was agreed between the prosecution and defence that the attack was a Category 1 offence, the most serious within the sentencing guidelines, which attracts sentences ranging between two and a half years and four years in prison, with a starting point of three years. The judge indicated that the maximum sentence he would impose would be three years for Smith and 30 months for Janes. The Crown offered no evidence against four defendants on the Section 18 grievous bodily harm count, meaning four not-guilty verdicts were delivered for John Pacer Smith and Jim Riley Janes, who admitted the Section 20, and their co-defendants, Henry Smith of High Street, Blainer, Abertillery, Gwent, and Samuel Janes, 57, of Smite Caravan Park, Pershall Lane, near Worcester. Not-guilty verdicts were also delivered in relation to the Section 20 for Henry Smith and Samuel Janes. The Crown also offered no evidence against John Pacer Smith on a criminal charge, a criminal damage charge which related to the victim's Ford Mondeo on the day of the attack, which also led to a not guilty verdict on that count. Two further defendants, Tony Smith, 25, of Bryn View, Nancy Glow, Ebby Vale, Quent, 
and Bobby Joe Smith, 25, of Mount Pleasant, Starport, have both been charged with intimidation against the GBH victim, John Mongum, and Charlene Lee two days after the attack. Again, the Crown Prosecution Service offered no evidence and formal not guilty verdicts were returned. The case was adjourned until Thursday, July 25th, when John Pacer Smith and John Jim James are scheduled to be sentenced for the Section 20 grievous bodily harm. This was to allow pre-sentence reports to be prepared for probation service. Judge Jim Tyndall said, There will be an ongoing friction between you as a group and Mr Mongan. I'm not being asked to make, nor will I in the circumstances, a restraining order, but I'm going to say this. If there's any trouble, if there's any afters after this, you're the ones who will get in trouble for this, so I will leave well alone. The officer in the case was DC Alistair Macasta. In 2014, we reported how John Pacer-Smith's five-year-old daughter saved his life and that of his family when the caravan caught fire in a freak accident. Mystery surrounds the number of factors that have delayed development of Plains Lane, but Worcestershire FA remains confident of completing by the end of September. The County Association Managed Football Facility is due for a spruce up this summer with planning permission for a new 3G pitch, floodlights and a new changing in office facilities granted in December 18. CEO Nicola Trigg targeted closing in the middle of May 2019 in order to be operational for football by the end of September, but work has yet to start. That factor is of particular importance to Worcester Raiders, the most senior club playing at the site. Promotion to the West Midlands Regional League Premier Division requires operational floodlights by September the 30th to avoid league sanctions in line with FA rules. Failure to ensure the lights are operational by March 31st would result in relegation. There are a number of factors that affect building and are out of our hands, said Martin Collier, Football Development Manager at Worcestershire FA and the man working closely with Trigg on the project. The end of September is the aim point we have given our contractors to finish and we are confident they will do that. They could encounter something that may change, but we are confident about meeting the deadline we have given. Collier, who admitted progress levels are not where we wanted them to be, declined to specify the number of factors behind work not beginning other than to say it had been held up by funding streams. They are not the issue, he said. The funding streams we anticipated being in place are... One of the stumbling blocks is likely to be the amendment to planning permission submitted to Worcester City Council to shift the position of the 3DG pitch by a small amount. And this is rugby. Promising prop Kai Owen is not interested in moving out on loan next season as he looks to fight for a place in Worcester Warriors front row. <coughs> the academy ace, who's 20, made his senior debut in the European Challenge Cup last season and is now aiming to make his Gallagher Premiership bow. Ethan Wallace, 26, Callum Black, 20, uh, sorry, 33, and a fit again Ryan Bauer, 28, are expected to be the main contenders for the number one shirt next term. But Owen, who has just won first team outing to his name, believes he can put pressure on the experienced trio. Asked whether he would benefit from a lone move, Owen said, I'm keen to stay at Worcester and fight for my place. I want to be in the environment all the time and push the first team players. There is so much competition, but I think they need that. They need to see the young boys coming up and showing that positions are there for the taking. 
On his goals for the 2019-20 campaign, Owen said, I have just got to take each day as it comes, but hopefully I can make my Prem debut next season. I want to get a few more appearances with the first team and get more involved on the whole. Owen was let go by Warriors when he was 17 before being recalled to play for Worcester Cavaliers at the Premiership Shield. His consistent performances for the Cavaliers saw him earn a senior academy contract and get picked to feature against Stade Francis last, Francais last October. Owen came off the bench and secured a scrum penalty in the closing moments as Warriors won 38-27 in Paris. That was a totally different experience, Owen said. Flying away with the team and being with those players was crazy. It was good enough. Everyone kept me calm by talking to me all the time, giving me advice, so I just had to go out there and put the shift in. Owen had also achieved international honours, having been called up to play for England under the under 20s in the Six Nations and this summer's World Rugby U20 Championship in Argentina. Although England finished fifth in the tournament, Owen said that the experience had given him a big morale boost. That's it. Well, after those two sports articles, now we have readers' letters. And this one is from the letter page on Friday, July the 5th, and it's Westminster View by Chris Moncrief. Wake me up when it's all over, I can't take any more excitement. Who suspected that what should have been a bitterly fought contest for the Premiership of the United Kingdom, especially one involving the normally raucous Boris Johnson, should have deteriorated into such a tedious and boring affair? One would have expected Johnson and his rival, Foreign Secretary Jeremy Hunt, would have been fighting each other like ferrets in a sack. But in reality, they are pawing at each other like two timid pussycats. The fact of the matter is, there are 16 hustings involving the two contestants, and we've so far only achieved a fraction of that number. And the pair of them have been arguing mainly about the intricacies of Brexit, about which the electorate have had more than their fill over the past two years. In short, neither of the contestants appear able or willing to say anything new, so no wonder this battle has barely achieved a spark of interest in the campaign. In fact, it appears to be sending the Conservative Party to sleep. Maybe this reluctance on the part of the contestants to show any fighting spirit can be put down to a fear on the part of both of them to offend their opponent. It hardly bears thinking about that we shall have to wait virtually until the end of July before this tedious debate is brought to an end. You would have thought that a battle for the Premiership would have fired up the candidates, but they've shown no aptitude whatsoever for a proper political ding-dong. Our pussyfooting candidates could learn a thing or two from their counterparts in the US, where rival candidates attack members of, the, uh, of their own party without compunction. Campaigning for the Premiership is not a game of tiddlywinks. Where is the blood and thunder? Would someone kindly wake me up when it's all over? 
Some heads ought to be rolling in the civil service as a result of claims by some government employees that Jeremy Corbyn is too frail to become Prime Minister. It's no job of the civil service to talk to newspapers about the personal shortcomings of politicians. And it's hardly surprising that Corbyn is raging at these suggestions. It's extremely damaging for a senior politician to have his health queries by civil servants, since it is no part of their job to do so, and is grossly damaging for the politician concerned. I trust that the government will look into this scandal to ensure that those responsible for it will be suitably punished, and that means immediate dismissal. Well, here we have a letter from Wendy Hans, Upton upon Seven, Civilised UK in 2019. Sir, I was deeply shocked and ashamed after hearing that so many of our children are living below the breadline, their mothers relying on food banks. This is the 21st century. We should be living in a civilised democracy, yet people are not able to feed our children adequately. We have voted to leave the EU. If the royal family can be fed, why not the rest of us? Okay, my letter's from Pam Stanier. Sir, your editorial rant against the writer of the letter Shameful Act was in itself quite shameful. First, you did not need to print the letter if you were only going to oppose it yourself. This is your prerogative as editor. Secondly, you display a disregard for the facts of the historical situation which the writer was criticising. The action of the MEPs who rudely turned their backs while a European anthem was being played by a group of young people was a direct emulation of a similar act of the National Socialist Party who turned their backs on a speaker in the Reichstag in 1930, a scene which was photographed with Joseph Goebbels himself taking part in the protest. One can truly describe their actions as hypocritical, for the MEPs were elected to represent the interests of the British electorate in the European Parliament, and are happy to take the salary and pension entitlement from an organisation which they profess to despise. Finally, you are an editor of a local paper which should concern itself primarily with matters of local interest, the actions of the local councils. You are not a William Rees Mogg or Basil Boothroyd pontificating on matters of national interest. Wait till you are the editor of The Telegraph, for example, before you can do that. Here is a thought from Stephen Lawrence <coughs> about the three Elmers. Before criticising the pub called the Elmer for changing its name, pub spies should be aware that there used to be three pubs in Worcester called the Elmer. One was in Droitwich Road, one in Lowesmore and one in Mill Street. The Mill Street one was bought by the King's School and demolished for them for school buildings. The one in Lowesmore has been opened under several different names in past years. The one in Droitwich Road will reopen soon, we hope. The Battle of Elmer was part of the Crimean War, fought on September the 20th, 1854, when British, French and Turkish forces defeated the Russians. Right, my next one is from Wendy Hans. Who wants to run the bank? Sir, I read a most interesting article in the question was asked, who wants to run the Bank of England? A fortnight ago, the application deadline passed for those who hope to become the next governor. It will not be an easy task, says the author of the report, Stephen King. 
From a central banker's perspective, the political backdrop has become distinctly weird. As well as having to pick up the pieces once we are out of the EU, Mark Carney's successor, who will take over on January the 31st, 2020, will have to cope with a new government and a possible change in the bank's mandate. The next Tory PM may well encourage the bank to let the price of sterling drop, particularly if there is a no-deal Brexit. Britain will need all the help it can get in international markets. And in the event that the government falls and Jeremy Corbyn wins power, the pressure on the BOE to engage in economic experiments will likely increase. The state of British politics suggests that for all their attempts to stay above the fray, central bankers will shortly find themselves in the firing line. Given the risk of the job, perhaps some of the best candidates have already torn up their CV. And now we have a letter from John Redmond in Worcester. Sir, what exactly has happened to democracy in this country? We have a new Prime Minister about to be elected by less than a quarter of a percentage point of the total population, all of whom are members of a political party which did very badly in the recent European elections. This mini-electorate seems set to elect a man who based his EU referendum campaign on lies which he still refused to admit, even when the lies were exposed as such, has no coherent policies to offer, has a very limited and, at best, mixed experience of holding government office. And the last draw, Johnson seems willing to suspend Parliament to get a policy through that is based on an extremely confused referendum that gave a tiny majority to this policy which is almost certainly no longer commands. But unlike Mrs May, who is allowed to resubmit her failed policies repeatedly, we are not allowed to have a second referendum. Actually, it would be a third. The first voted 2-1 in favour of continued membership in 1975. Has the world gone mad? Alas, poor democracy, I knew it well. Okay, my letters from C.D. Lee of Worcester. Sir, as our councillors are rarely seen out and about... I thought I would let them know that we still have as many girls, if not more, as we have had for several years now. Many chicks are now around, which is surprising, as we were told that their eggs were being removed and replaced with dummies. Still, some people feed them at South Quay, despite enforcement. As with all council speak, we must not believe anything we read or are told. Here's an illuminating letter from Andrew Murphy. I know this is a very strange question, but does anyone in Worcester ever look up? Last Thursday evening, Worcester was treated to something called a circumzenithal arc or a breve that appeared in the sky over the city. It took the form of an upside-down rainbow that looked like a big grin. This phenomenon only appears when the sun is at a certain level and reflects ice crystals. If you didn't look up and missed it, sorry, but if you did and wondered what it was, now you know. <laughs> Thanks everyone for those letters. And we'll now have On This Day, followed by news articles from the week. So On This Day are... Things that happened on July the 11th in years gone by. A trip down memory lane. 
And you may be interested to know that July the 11th is the National Day of Mongolia. Right, first of all, on this day, 1274, Robert the Bruce, King of Scotland, who defeated the English at Bannockburn, was born in Turnberry, Ayrshire. July the 11th, 1690, William of Orange defeated the deposed Catholic King James II at the Battle of the Boyne in Ireland. July the 11th, 1754, Shakespearean censor Thomas Bowdler was born. Though he loved the Bard's works, he considered some to be vulgar and unfit to be read by a gentleman in the company of ladies. Mm. One wonders what he'd do with Chaucer. (laughs) His solution was to cut lumps wholesale, and from this came the verb to bowdlerize. July the 11th, 1937, George Gershwin, American composer, whose works included Rhapsody in Blue and Porgy and Bess, died aged 38 of a brain Mm tumour. 1950, July the the 11th, puppets Andy Pandy, Teddy and Looby Loo first appeared on BBC television. The episodes were repeated for more than 25 years until the film began to wear out and Andy waved his last goodbye from the bank basket. More innocent pleasures, I think, than children are presented with nowadays. July the 11th, 1975, China's great terracotta army was uncovered near the ancient capital of Xi'an. More than 6,000 life-size warriors were made around 206 BC to guard the tomb of the first emperor. 1979, July the 11th, America's Skylab 1 returned to Earth after 34,981 orbits in six years. And July the 11th, 1989, theatre lights were dimmed in London and around Britain as a a mark of respect to Sir Lawrence or Lord Olivier who died in his sleep, aged 82. Mm. And you might like to know that on this day is Giorgio Amani's birthday, John Keckley, TV weatherman, and Craig Charles, the comedian and actor. Mm. This is a story entitled, Please Help Son to Walk. A mum is desperately appealing for funds to buy her disabled son an electric standing frame in the hope that it will let him walk again. Nick Ferrier, aged 27, suffered from a serious head injury following a quad bike accident in Green Lane, Worcester, back in March 2015. The family have been told Nick will need a £3,750 frame if there is any chance of him being able to walk again. The frame will allow Nick to pull himself up to a standing position so he can bear his own weight, build his muscles and regain his balance. Mum of four and full-time carer, Janie Ferrier, said, My boy desperately needs a standing frame. I need to hear his voice. I know that one day it will come. I have never lost hope. I believe he will talk again. I believe he will walk again. Mm-hmm. Nick, who has a nine-year-old son, 
and lives with his mum, returned to his Worcester family home in October last year, following two years of being in hospital and 18 months in a care home. We previously reported on the Help Get Nick Home campaign his mum launched to try and get him home from hospital. He spent time in the Worcester Royal, Queen Elizabeth in Birmingham and Leamington Spa Hospital. Miss Ferrier, aged 43, said, Miraculously, Nick eventually came through. He survived. It's been a long, hard and heartbreaking four years, but Nick never fails to have a smile. He has the same humour and personality, but he's just trapped in his own body. I was told he would have no quality of life. I was devastated, but we never gave up on him. She added, it's been an emotional journey. There is nothing out there for him. If he was under 18, apparently he would stand more chance and would have had a better chance of the standing frame being funded. I'm getting no support whatsoever. I'm doing everything by myself. It's frustrating. Nick won't improve without the help. He has got no other way of communicating other than writing, and even then I have to hold his wrist to support him. He is completely dependent on me. A charity fundman will be held at Blackpool Inn in Worcester on August the 25th from 12pm to help boost funds for the electric standing frame. There will be a raffle, a tombola and face painting. To donate, visit justgiving.com forward slash crowdfunding forward slash Janie Ferry. Police are continuing to search for the body of missing Susie Lamplow. An eyewitness said temporary traffic lights have been installed on the B4084 near Drake's Broughton to allow officers to search on one side of the road. The traffic lights have caused long queues as vehicles are funnelling into a single lane. Police have returned to the area to search for a missing Susie, an estate agent who disappeared in July 1986. They previously searched a field near to Pershore in 2010. Police vans were first spotted in a lay-by off the B4084, just outside Drake's Broughton, with officers digging in the field behind last week. Now, police have seen... Police have been seen using probing poles to search the ground systematically next to the road in the direction to the entrance of Drake's Broughton as they look for vital clues to aid the investigation. Undergrowth some distance from the road is reportedly being searched as well. A spokesman for the Metropolitan Police, which are heading the search in partnership with West Mercia, said the search is ongoing but would not disclose a date for the work to finish. Officers are securing the scene at night so the scene is not contaminated. Susie Lamplew, born in Cheltenham, went missing after arranging to meet with a client. She was officially declared dead, presumed murdered in 1980, 1994. Sorry, Her disappearance has been enduring mystery for more than 30 years. Anyone with information that could assist the investigation is asked to call officers on 0207 230 4294. Now then, here is a piece about work on the city road with which I heartily agree. Mm -hmm. Work to install new traffic lights on one of the city's busiest junctions caused long delays and disruption last week and still does. Mm -hmm. Frustrated drivers have complained that the short time between light changes and lane closures in Bath Road means right turns into Sidbury were causing massive disruption and delays of more than 20 minutes to move through an already busy junction. Lane closures at the Bath Road and Sidbury Junction restricted what was usually two lanes to one single one, preventing drivers from turning both directions into the city and London Road. 
Michael Kent from St Peter's said queues were as far back as Spa South Bank Hospital when he joined the traffic on Friday. He said it took one car turning the right indicator on to stop for all the cars behind getting through. You just couldn't get past it. I thought it was just silly to do that. It just seemed as though it hadn't been thought through. It was pretty ridiculous. It's something that seems to have been quite easy to solve. If the disruption does carry on and it stays like then, then it's a bit of self-inflicted issue by the council. The council have not covered themselves in glory with this roadworks and this just seems to be the latest chapter. John Fraser, head of highways at Worcestershire County Council, said the work in Sidbury did require lane closures throughout the summer, but the council was doing its best to minimise disruption. The highways boss said disruption was expected but the work needed to be carried out. The council has said that most of the daytime work will be carried out during the school holidays to minimise disruption. A number of overnight closures are also due to take place. The roadworks in Sidbury are part of a multi-million county council project to tackle congestion. Worcestershire County Council pledged £5 million alongside the £6 million from the Department for Transport to make a number of much-needed improvements across the city. The work at Sidbury includes replacing a 50-year-old traffic light system, extending approach lanes in City Walls Road and installing a new signal-controlled pedestrian crossing across Commandery Road. My first article is about precious medals stolen. Precious medals belonging to one of Worcester's greatest sons were amongst items stolen from a museum. The medals belonging to renowned composer Edward Elgar were stolen when burglars broke into his birthplace, now a museum dedicated to him and his life. Michael Smith, National Trust General Manager for the South Worcestershire Portfolio, which managed the furs, said, what has happened is very upsetting. The items that have been taken are key elements of our display and are of national significance. Elgar was appointed a member of the Order of Merit in the Coronation Honours List of 1911 and appointed a Knight Commander of the Royal Victorian Order, KCBO, in 1928 and he was given a breast star and a badge with sash. In 1933, he was promoted within the Royal Victorian Order to Knight Grand Cross, GCVO. These were all taken in the burglary. A signed photograph of Elgar was also stolen. Local response PC Nick Garth said, I'd like to speak to anyone who may have seen or heard anything. We're currently investigating this burglary and appealing to the community to get in touch with any information they may have to help us with our investigation. The medals and the signed photograph are of high value to the National Trust and we are appealing for any information relating to their whereabouts. The theft occurred in the early hours of Thursday, June the 27th. 
Anyone who has in any information regarding this burglary or the whereabouts of the items can call 101, quoting 22 oblique 58084 oblique 19. Among Elgar's best-known compositions are orchestral works including the Enigma Variation. His statue stands in Worcester City Centre. And this article is particularly well illustrated with a picture of his birthplace, the Furs, and of the two medals, the Order of Merit Medal and the Grand Cross of the Royal Victorian Order, together with a picture of Elgar himself in court dress. Hopefully they'll be too hot to sell, won't they? Mm. I hope so. Mm. I hope they'll get them back because of that. Mm. Now this story is Raising Cash for a Funeral of Tragic Teen. A crowdfunding campaign has been launched to raise money for the funeral of Alessandro Frumenzi. Earlier this week, police confirmed that a body found in the River Seven near Kemsey was the 18-year-old. That discovery brought to an end a major search of the river after a young man was spotted going into the river off Sabrina Bridge in the early hours of last Saturday. During the search, CCTV pictures were released to identify the teenager who was later informally identified as Mr. Frumenzi from Leverskusen but living in Worcester, studying at heart of Worcestershire College since the autumn 2018 term. The search involved a police helicopter deploying its searchlights and fire crews using inflatable boats. After the announcement, a GoFundMe page was set up by friends and family, hoping to raise money to put towards his funeral. A statement from Alex Frumenzi's family said, Following the unfortunate tragedy, his family and friends asked for help to be able to cover the cost of his funeral. Every little help has a major impact. We are thankful for everyone who has helped and has been a part of this tough journey. The family and friends are heartbroken and traumatised to leave someone this close to our hearts but will love and support. We will always be remembered for looking over us for looking over us and in our thoughts. The fundraising target has been set at £3,000 and within the first 24 hours of the fundraising page going live, £475 has already been raised. Floral tributes to Mr Frumenzi were left at uh, below Sabrina Bridge on the race course and the side of the river. The tributes including a picture of a Romanian flag with the words R.O.P. Alessandro 2001-2019. Another written tribute says, I cannot believe you are gone. You are the greatest and kindest person I've ever met. The death is not being treated as suspicious and a file is being prepared for the coroner. The fundraising website can be found at www.gofundme.com forward slash Alex Frumenzi. A daughter has praised city folk who came to her mother's aid when she fell in the city centre. Patricia Clark Sutton, 78, was enjoying a lovely day out visiting from Warnden with her daughter Michelle Stockall, 59, when she fell on New Street in Worcester. Mrs Stockall said, I was slightly ahead and I turned round and Mum was on the floor in a state of shock. I tried helping her up but she couldn't move. She was on the ground not saying anything. Things were about to change. Two staff members had seen what had happened from the nearby Bottles Bar and owner Richard Everton and Hannah Webb came rushing out to offer support. Mr Everton would later help her mum into a car to get taken to hospital for a check-up. An identified member of staff from Beauty at Strand's hairdressers also came out to support her mum with a pillow and a towel to keep her warm. 
A passing woman used a phone app to check hospital waiting times and directed them away from visiting the Worcester Royal to the, to the Mulvan Community Hospital on the Worcester Road. Miss Clark Sutton was taken to hospital when her daughter's husband, Paul Stockhall, 58, arrived. Mrs Stockhall added, It struck me afterwards how many nice people take the time to stop and I reckon many people genuinely care about each other. I want to thank the people who stopped and helped. It's nice to know the kindness of strangers. Mr Stockhall said, I came down at the end, but my mother-in-law was surrounded by many people who were genuinely interested in her welfare. Miss Clark Sutton wishes to express her thanks to the members of the public who helped and the hospital staff. Now, I've got a picture of some uh, worthies from the uh, council, I think. Time is running out to nominate a worthy good cause to receive cash from a community grant scheme by Worcester Lions. Recently, we announced that there is uh, $1,500 to be awarded via grants available to community groups. The original deadline for the latest round was Friday, July the 5th, but Worcester Lions have extended the deadline until this Friday, July the 12th. The grant scheme is administered by Worcester News and previous rounds have already benefited dozens of local groups in and around Worcester. Organisations that have previously benefited include Oasis Warnden, Community Health Hub, Rushwick Preschool, Worcester Snoozeland, Morven Special Families, Guy's Footprints, Asher Women's Centre, Worcestershire Pensioners Action Group, Good Soil Project, Aspel, Hereford and Worcester Dyslexic Association, Art to Mines, Acton Mill Care Farm, St Paul's Hospital, Oropharyngeal Cancer Support Group, New Hope, Hello Village Community Group, St John's Ambulance and Max Day Centre. The money has gone towards various projects, including new books, running numeracy and literacy courses and helping with the transport costs. In the last round, Amateur Boxing Club, Nora Parsons Centre, Lippert Hub, Linus, 7th Worcester Guide Company and Fort Royal Park received cash. The six community groups were presented their cheques by the city's former mayor, Jabba Rears, at a presentation held at the Guild Hall in April. The grant scheme is funded by money collected during Worcester Lions sleigh tours at Christmas, as well as by raffling Easter eggs and other events. To apply include full contact details of the person making the application as well as the organisation they're making the applying on behalf of the amount requested and the details on plans for its use. Groups can apply for a grant up to the value of £300 as part of the scheme. Post the application to Worcester Lions Club Grant Scheme, Deb Walton, Editorial, Worcester News, Hilton Road, Worcester, WR2, 5JX. Alternatively, 
dropped the application into Worcester News reception during normal working hours. First multicultural picnic. The city saw its first multicultural picnic held in Cripplegate Park on Saturday, attracting people and foods from across the world. Those of all nationalities were encouraged to bring food from their countries of birth and their ethnic roots, which could then be tried for free. Food on offer included Polish piernik, Romanian kozonak and kaiser meat. Organised by Bazia Ligas, Community Cohesion Officer for Worcester City Council, alongside Fortis Living, the event aimed to promote further ethnic diversity, particularly in the fallout to the, bre- fallout to the Brexit, Brexit vote. Ms Ligas, originally from Poland, said schemes like Talk to Me Worcester and the newly formed European Connections Forum inspired her to launch an event which encouraged different ethnicities to join together. There's not really an outlet in Worcester that allows us to promote community, she said. We wanted to show that everyone who lives here is not an enemy but a friend. We all want to be part of the community. Having lived in the UK for 11 years, Ms Ligas, who was helped on Saturday by her sister, Gojia Ligas, said, while the country is particularly multicultural, after Brexit there's been so much uneasiness. We felt we wanted to do something that's not political but fun, that would show and educate people that Worcester was a place for all of us to call home. She said while there are already well-established communities for nationalities like Bangladesh and India, Eastern European countries in particular don't have this. This is despite the city seeing more Bulgarians and Romanians, for example, in the last 10 years since these nations became full EU members. Ms Ligas went on to say that the County Council has been toying with the idea of an event or festival in Lowesmore, where there is a very diverse mix of ethnicities and the food on offer reflects that. People are interested in ethnic foods, but as much as British people will eat international cuisine, I don't know how many do their food shopping in Lowesmore. She said a festival there would help to expose people to what's there in terms of food and culture. Gosia Jaroch from Poland said the event allowed people to see what other nationalities are all about. She added, it's a shame that it's not been advertised as well as it could have been. Café Vows to Reopen Nearly £50,000 has been raised to help fund a popular cafe after it was forced to close its doors. Cafe Bliss, which was situated on the ground floor at the Worcester Arts Workshop building in Sanson Walk, closed in May 2018 after eight years. Staff from Cafe Bliss hosted an array of events to support groups and charities. Manager Amanda Hickling said she aims to continue serving the community when she reopens her cafe. People have given money to Miss Hickling to help fund a new venue due to customers feeling disappointed. Miss Hickling, age 52, said, People who know us have come forward and have given us money. It was either donations or loaned. It gives us a scope. 
We hope to continue the work of Cafe Bliss and further what we have done. Our ethos here is so organic. There are so many cafes, you've got to be different to stand out from the rest. She added, we are sociable and provide something for everyone. We're all about helping the local people, making everyone feel involved and giving them a sense of belonging. We provide our time and service in exchange to getting to know people. Everyone likes what we do. We promote being, we promote well-being, mindfulness. We support people who feel socially isolated and feel reduced food poverty and deprivation. It gets groups to gravitate towards us who have the same ethos. The idea we get to get, a, sorry, the idea we try to get out to support local groups, charities, <coughs> provide entertainment and food in a homely environment. A year after the closure, Miss Hickling claims people are still following Cafe Bliss's Facebook page and customers are frequently asking them what the future holds. Miss Hickling said, We still have people following us and liking our Facebook page. After a year, you'd think it had settled down, but people are still asking about our plans. So many people were disappointed when we closed. It was basically a community that got suddenly dispersed. The LGBT community was very strong here. They felt safe. To have that taken away from them, it was a big change to their lives. The closure had a massive impact on us and the local people. It was everything to us, day and night. That's really good if that's going to reopen. Uh, charity's new grant. There were celebrations at the home of a charity for people with learning disabilities when it received a national lottery grant. Worcester Snoozelen, the Sensory Leisure Therapy Centre, has received £88,000 from the lottery, which will now mean the charity can open a coffee lounge at its centre in Turnpike Close on the University of Worcester St John's campus. Mm. To celebrate the charity's new patron, the Honourable Lady Rosalind Morrison, the Vice Lord Lieutenant of Worcestershire, the Mayor of Worcester Councillor Alla Ditter and Mayoress Nassim Akhtar were invited to a gathering at the centre on Thursday. During the event, Tamsin Davy, funding officer from the National Lottery, made a surprise visit with a lottery cheque. The new coffee lounge will train and employ people with learning disabilities who will sell coffee and snacks to visitors. Artwork produced by the charity's members is also being hung on the walls, available for sale, and at the event there was a large art exhibition of the work already created. The coffee lounge is to be named after Penny Brazier, who founded Worcester Snoozlin in 1993. Over the years, the charity has helped children and adults with learning disabilities, introducing bubble tubes and music with warm water beds and hydrotherapy for people with learning disabilities. Councillor Ditter said they will be able to help more youngsters in the city and surrounding areas at the centre, thanks to this grant. They are doing important work that needs support. Mrs Davies said, We are really delighted to be able to give them this grant, which is thanks to lottery players, and will help with the work they are doing with the children. Penny Brazier said, The concept behind the charity is about using your senses, and now our visitors will have opportunity for a taste sensation. I'm deeply honoured the coffee lounge is being named after me. Jane Roberts, Worcester Snoozerland Chief Officer, said, The quality of artwork on display in the exhibit on the, in, the, sorry, in the exhibition this year is outstanding and to be able to introduce our new patron, Lady Morrison, to everyone made the event really special. The check for the National Lottery was truly the icing on the cake. There is free admission to the exhibition and silent auction until July the 14th. 
The exhibition is open weekdays between 10am and 6pm and at weekends between 10am and 2pm. There are more than 50 pieces of art being exhibited, some by people who attend art sessions with the charity and some donated by other local artists. The auction will raise funds for the Worcester Snoozeland charity. Here is a piece about the uh, Chateau Emily Hill Climb. Plans are gearing up for the return of a long-standing motoring festival which comes to Droitwich again this weekend. The Chateau Emily Hill Climb, which has been running since the 1950s, puts drivers and their cars to the test, climbing the thousand-yard course outside the estate near Droitwich. There are numerous awards handed out to the most impressive displays at the event, including the Cox Club, awarded to the fastest time of the day, and the Miller Club, which is awarded for the fastest time in a sports car, and the Ladies' Award, given to the best female driver. This year's event, running on July 13th and 14th, whoops, it's already happened, no, it hasn't. <laughs> Features more than just the cars, with a flyover from iconic British WW2 aircraft, the Lancaster Bomber, on both the Saturday and the Sunday. In addition to the flypast, there will be a fun fair, demonstrations, trade stands, and family entertainment for visitors to enjoy. At last year's event, Motorsports enthusiasts were able to explore the open paddock where they could get up close and personal with some of the impressive cars facing the Chateau Empney Challenge. Gates open at 7.30am each day with the action from the hill climb starting at 8.45am on Saturday and 8.30am on Sunday. Gates will close at 6pm. On the Hill Climb website, a spokesman said, Since 2015, the event has gone from strength to strength, with over 16,000 visitors on site for the 2018 event. 2019 is set to prove itself once again to be a firm favourite with a host of new content to keep spectators guessing. For more, go on to www.chateauimneyhillclimb.com forward slash. Protest for homeless. A homeless campaigner has protested in the city to mark the third anniversary of the discovery of the death of a rough sleeper found partially mummified in his tent. The peaceful protest was in memory of 74-year-old Carden Banfield, whose body was found by a cricket club steward after he was told about a smell coming from a tent near Worcestershire County Cricket Club in July 2016. Hugo Sugg from Worcester, who also set up the campaign Justice for Carden following his death, led the demo. The group wrote the names of rough sleepers who have died in chalk on the floor outside the Guildhall. Mr Sugg said... The goal of this peaceful protest is to raise awareness of homelessness. We want to get people talking and make them feel uncomfortable because they haven't acted on showing their support. That's why we are here, to get people to notice the work that we do. I have been encouraged, encouraging people to talk to us and ask for advice on how to help. The cause of Mr Banfield's death is unknown. His body was so badly decomposed that he could only be identified from his DNA. 
Mr. Sugg added, I knew Carden when I worked at the YMCA in Worcester. He was so badly mummified that they had to identify him from three different body parts. No one seems to have acted since then. We need a better outreach service. The fact that these people are being found dead by members of the public just shows there's no support available. Mr. Sugg added that a better outreach approach should be provided to rough sleepers for them to be signposted to a service. Amelia Brown, who used to be a rough sleeper, has joined the campaign with Mr. Sugg. She said, homelessness affects so many people you don't realise. So many people are out there begging for support. The resources are so stretched. It's not just about addiction or personal issues people have in life. Anyone can one day be one paycheck away from being homeless. We want to make people more aware. These people are not going to be forgotten. We are not going to rest until there's enough support to prevent rough sleepers from dying. We've had a lot of people stop to read the names and ask questions. It's great that it's grabbing people's attention. The protest, which was also held outside the Mag's Day Centre in Deansway, took place yesterday. Thank you, Julian. Well, now we've reached the end of this recorded edition. Thank you to Paddy, Moira, Julian and Barry for reading and recording. We hope you've enjoyed listening and that you'll come back for more next week. So we'll say our goodbyes and then I'll remind you that the obituaries will follow the closing music. Best wishes from me, Evelyn, and from all the team. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. Now the obituaries. Kenneth Briggs of Northwick, Worcester, passed away peacefully on Saturday, June the 15th, 2019. A special service on Sunday, July the 14th, 2019, at 6.30pm, will take place to receive Ken into church at St George's C of E Church. The funeral will take place on Monday, July the 15th at 11am, followed by committal at Worcester Crematorium. Family flowers only, please. Dorothy Lillian Danks passed away suddenly but peacefully on June the 20th, 2019, aged 90 years. The funeral service has taken place. Joan Mary Ferguson of Rushwick passed away on June the 24th, 2019, nearly 93. Service at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, July the 16th at 11.30am. Colourful clothes welcome, family flowers only please. Margaret L Rose Llewellyn, Margaret sadly passed away on June the 27th. Service at the crematorium on Thursday, July the 18th at 10am. Beryl May Long, nay Jenkins, passed away peacefully at home on June the 15th, 2019, aged 90 years. The funeral service has taken place. Betty Palmer of Burlingham died peacefully on June the 17th, 2019, aged 95 years. Funeral service to be held at Burlingham Church on Thursday, July the 18th at 3.30pm. Family flowers only, please. Morning clothes optional. Christmas Phillips, Chris. 
passed away peacefully on June the 17th, 2019, aged 98 years. The funeral service has taken place. Mary Irene Rolls passed away peacefully on June the 21st, 2019, aged 103 years. The funeral service has taken place. Hilary Ann Crompton, beloved wife of Dr. Frank Crompton, died on June the 26th. Cremation service at Worcester Crematorium on August the 14th, 2.15pm. Family flowers only. Iris Hodgkins, knee Hudspeth, passed away peacefully surrounded by her family on July the 3rd, 2019. And Rita Hitchman, passed peacefully at Red Hill Care Home on June the 28th, aged 83 years. Funeral service at St Clement's Church, Tuesday, July the 16th, 10.30am, and burial at St John's Cemetery, 11.30am. Lawrence Brennan of Warndon, passed away peacefully in hospital on June the 22nd, aged 86 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, July the 18th at 2.30pm. Family flowers only, please. Roy Hayward, May 7th, 1924 to June the 24th, 2019. Funeral service at St Nicholas's Church, Warnden Villages on Wednesday, July the 17th at 2pm. Irene Meek, or Rini, passed away peacefully on June 15th, 2019. Funeral service at St Martin's Church on Thursday, July the 18th at 11.30am, followed by internment at Aswood Cemetery. Family flowers only, please. Basil Roots of Marion Close, Worcester. It's with sadness Basil passed away peacefully on July the 3rd, 2019, aged 97. Funeral on Thursday, July the 18th at Worcester Crematorium at 11.30am. Family flowers only, please. Edward C. Somerville. Eddie Somerville passed away peacefully on June the 19th, one day short of his 81st birthday. His funeral service is at 2.30pm on July the 16th at Aswood Cemetery. No flowers, please. John Cyril Allies passed away on June, July the 4th. 2019, aged 83 years. The funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, July the 16th at 1pm. The family respectfully ask that no flowers are given. Margaret Josephine Cooper, named Duke, passed away peacefully at Worcester Royal Hospital on July the 3rd, 2019, surrounded by her loving family. The funeral service will be at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, July the 29th, 2019, at 11.30am. Beryl Lee died peacefully on July the 2nd, 2019. Funeral service at St James the Great, Colwall, on Wednesday, July the 17th, at 3pm. Um, family flowers only are requested. Mm-hmm. 